Welcome to Someone Else's Movie, the original podcast where an actor, writer, director, or nebulous industry figure gives a little love to a movie they didn't make. I'm Norm Wilner, senior film writer for Now Magazine, and this is the other thing I do. For four years now. Happy anniversary. My guest this week is Tanana Reeve Dew, an author, educator, filmmaker, and most recently, executive producer of Shudder's excellent documentary Horror Noir, A History of Black Horror, in which she also appears as an interview subject, discussing, among other things, Jordan Peele's Get Out. In fact, Tanana Reef picked Get Out, as I kind of hope she would, if I'm being honest. Because, as you'll hear, she's the best person to talk about Peel's debut feature, a genre-bending nightmare of racial and social politics in America, except for Peel himself, and due to the concept of this podcast, he's disqualified. In a breakout performance, Daniel Kaluuya plays Chris, a black photographer who accompanies his white girlfriend, played by Allison Williams, home to meet her family. He's welcomed with open arms, but soon comes to suspect something is terribly wrong in their suburban paradise— and he has no idea how right he is. A critical and popular hit, Get Out was an Oscar darling as well, scoring nominations for picture, actor, director, and original screenplay. It won the last one, making Jordan Peele the first African-American to win an Academy Award in that category. And with his follow-up feature, Us, arriving in theaters this Friday, it seemed like the right time to get into Get Out. This is someone else's movie. Get Out is so exciting to me because, well, there are so many reasons. First of all, from the time I saw the trailer, I'm a huge horror fan. So to see Daniel Kaluuya as the protagonist was super exciting. I remember that scene where he was, they had the child sinking through his bed and through the floor. And I was like, oh my gosh, there's some more meat on the bones of this. It's not just a jump scare film and it's going to be about something. I wasn't sure what. But I could tell just from that trailer. So from the time the trailer came out, I was super excited. And um, I fashioned a whole course around it. You know, I teach at UCLA, and I was teaching something called Afrofuturism, which is black speculative fiction, science fiction, fantasy, and horror. And Get Out came right at the tail end of the quarter. So I said, no, no, no. I'm going to create a whole new course, and Get Out will be the linchpin. And I called it The Sunken Place. And I'm still teaching it, actually, The Sunken Place. So it's racism survival and the black horror aesthetic. And I was tweeting so much about it over the summer that uh, it got written about in the media. And the same day the story came out, Monkey Pop Productions followed me. (laughs) Jordan Peele DM'd me. (laughs) It was crazy. And he said, oh, I could surprise your class. Ha ha. And that's exactly what we did. Uh, Within weeks, there he was in a hoodie and a baseball cap sneaking into the back row. And we did a whole thing where uh, the lights were out and I was showing a clip from the film. And I said, uh, what do you think the director was trying to say about the coveting of black bodies? And he raised his hand. It was like, oh, I have a question. And when he's anyway, it was (laughs) crazy. He talked about the class on Colbert. Just nuts. But all that aside, just the fun, the excitement of it, the excitement of the students. When when you get to the, the film itself. There's so much about it to admire. The acting is top-notch, you know, with Daniel Kaluuya and Katherine Keener, um, Allison Williams, just, you know, Lakeith Stanfield, the whole cast is fantastic. Betty Gabriel, even, she has a small part. 
uh, as the housekeeper, but it's a very significant part. And as Jordan Peele told the class, he really feels like she's the strongest of the characters who was in The Sunken Place because she could break free without external stimulation. There was no flashbulb. There was no physical trauma. She was trying so hard to warn Chris to get away. Uh, so that's interesting. So the casting was strong. The script is amazing. Um, every shot is just filled with these little Easter eggs from the cultural appropriation that is all over the house of this family to the wisps of cotton being pulled out of the chair to at the, the teacup, you know, I was talking to a, a friend of mine who said that soon after she saw Get Out, she was at some sort of a gathering and someone had a teacup like the one in the movie and she actually got scared. <laughs> she said, I never thought I would be afraid of a teacup. But uh, that use of the hypnosis as a kind of witchy magic to put Chris in the sunken place, all of it is in the music. I mean, really, there's just so much to admire about the film. But actually, I think if I had to pick one thing about the film that stands out to me most is the entire concept of The Sunken Place. Not just that it starts with childhood trauma, I mean, yay, so <laughs> vividly realized on a screen, but to see Chris fall through into that netherworld, that was when I knew that this movie was weighty and had a philosophy and really had uh, something to say beyond just, okay, now we're gonna scare you. Seeing Chris flailing, horrifying, just this horrifying image. And that's why the course is called The Sunken Place. Yeah, I saw it in a, at a preview screening the Wednesday before it opened, and when that first happened, when the camera starts to move, you could actually feel the energy in the room change because it was, you know, we, we'd had the opening and it was looser and funnier and sexy and all of those things are, melted away gradually by the time we get to the hypnosis scene but when that actually drops when when chris drops the room like i felt everybody's shoulders clench in a way like the whole mm. audience rippling up from the front to the back just going oh this is i don't know what's happening i don't <laughs> like this this is new <laughs> well as jordan peele told my class you know the movie was about 20 minutes in when he was writing the script and you got to have something happened it's time for a big scare you got to show the goods it's, yeah. it's, you know and uh, you've done the character development we've done all of the liberal racism and microaggressions from the parents that was another thing in the trailer when the dad said uh, how long has this thing been going on every yeah. time he said the word thing I could just feel like a screwdriver going into my ear <laughs> because he was trying way too hard to be likable but yeah Absolutely. The, the sunken place is that moment when Get Out really distinguishes itself as a horror film, as a film, as a concept. Uh, Jordan Peele told my class that when he was writing the script, it represented mass incarceration to him. And he said he actually started to cry thinking about all of the young people, uh, men and women, you know, who've been incarcerated for years and years and years over, you know, sometimes really small crimes, like a little bit of marijuana. Uh, yeah, really, really profound. I mean, the sunken place means a lot of things to a lot of people. And, and, and he also has different interpretations of it that I've seen. But the, the mass incarceration one really speaks to me. I'm very active on social media. Mass incarceration has been one of the issues I've been trying to bring awareness around mm -hmm. for years. So to see it in film and to see it expressed in such a thoughtful and brilliant way, 
yeah, that was it for me. Yeah. It was something that I noticed. Um, I was talking to uh, Boots Riley about Sorry to Bother You last mm. summer when he came through town. And the idea that both Get Out and Sorry to Bother You are rooted in white exploitation of black bodies, like literal physical bodies. Yes. Uh, and that they also both have incarceration themes. You know, like there's the voluntary thing that's going on in Sorry to Bother You where people are signing up to live in essentially prisons and, and work. and Service. Yes, yeah, and absolutely. Never leave the, and it's being pitched as a, a new condo, a new form of living. Right. Um, but Get Out is – it's much more insidious in the way that people are lured in and it's it's much more – cruel, I think, mm. in that it's not it's it's completely cynical, but there's no business to it at all until we get to the auction scene, which is a completely different kind of cynicism. <laughs> right. But what yeah, um watching Whitford oversell his friendliness on second viewing, of course, you see how you know, like you see the, the, the snarl behind of it behind it all. You see his his glee at this exploitation. This isn't the first time he's done it. He's polishing his act. It's it's now you rethink the whole thing about the deer. We hit yeah. a deer, you know. I say one less, you know, what did he say, one down, two hundred thousand to go or something yeah. like that. Just that that glee at the deer being dead. Of course on multiple viewers you're like, ah, there it is. There's that mm-hmm. that menace starting to peek out. Yeah. But it's so great that there's a movie where that's possible. That we have the reading and multiple readings and every time you see it you'll catch something else, not just in the production design, but in the intelligence of it. Mm-hmm. Um, I knew Jordan Peele was clever. Right. I knew he was a good uh, observer of genre. I'd watched the show and there's stuff in Keanu that's very clever as well about how it relates to action movies and the beats that it's, it's parodying. I mean, I liked Keanu too, but, you know, we didn't see Get Out coming from Exactly. Keanu. Exactly. No. You just... <laughs> you come to something new. I mean, he, it's it's not just a good example of this genre. It's the announcement of a new talent. Yeah, even um, I'd say some of the sketches in Key and Peele sort of broadcast a little bit more that that Get Out was a possibility, Mm. you know, Um, even from the very first episode when they're whispering so that their wives won't hear in the last shot they're in outer space. It's that that kind of a a left turn that the sunken places. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's like, oh, okay, wait a minute. (laughs) Who are these guys? Because that's different. And uh, Negro Town sketch, racist zombies. Yeah, <laughs> you know there there were so many sketches where you're like, okay, now I see those seeds were there. Exactly. Um, he loves the language. He knows the language and the rhythms of the, of the genre, and that like that was never in doubt. You can't do parodies that are that smart without loving the source material. There's exactly. no. He's not condescending. He's not punching down to horror fans. But then Get Out arrives, and I mean, even just the confidence that the camera work shows. There's so much thought. It's a it's a it's a meditative observant horror movie, which is the worst thing about it because it's just watching while awful things are happening to people. And the way he said he wanted Chris to be the final girl, that <laughs> audiences would feel sympathy for the black man in in a horror movie, which never happens before because he just doesn't die. Right. And he, we have to keep watching. True. And True. It, for identification purposes, he he's right. That's never been done before. Not not for a feature film. I mean, there are shorts, but. This is we, – we were just talking – Ashley and I were just talking about uh, briefly the people under the stairs. And it's like that's got a black protagonist but he's a child and it's it's a double act between himself and the older white girl and it's not quite the same focus. But Get Out is like directly derived from that same – as, as uh, Jordan Peele puts it in the documentary, the, the Black Fear of White Spaces. Mm-hmm. But to see it realized with, you know, we're on a plantation and we don't know it. We are mm. tricked into this world because we have Chris's point of view. We don't see 
it's weird and it's strange and people are condescending. But as we see with Chris, like he's used to that. He's used to being the guy who doesn't fit in in a white space. He's used to being the observer because he's a photographer. Yes. And so we are seduced into thinking that we're not where we are, just like he is. And it's a balancing act, you know, because on the one hand, you know, Jordan Peele talks about how when it comes to black characters in horror movies, there's this sort of kernel of common sense that I think is mischaracterized in some of the older films from the 30s as being buffoons and cowards. Like, I'm not going in there, boss, you know, that kind of thing. But when you really look at it, (laughs) that trepidation is built from real life experience with, hey, you know, sometimes things go very, very badly wrong very quickly. Like your entire community might get burned down or like somebody might get dragged out of your house and lynched. So there's this whole history of being wary when something feels off. When something feels off. So he has to create a character who's a believable character, who's a sympathetic character. Chris is so good-natured and just so sweet, you know. There, I, I always joke that if I had been in his situation, even if I had agreed to go stay <laughs> at the parents' house, which I was like, can we just go to a motel sex, please? Do we have to stay in the house? You know, because that's just me, not very sociable, okay. <laughs> you know. And we're only, what, three or four months into this relationship. This is a big step. But he's, he agrees to that. But by the time Jeremy came for dinner, And he could barely keep his crazy under control long enough to get through the meal. You know, everyone is just shooting poison at him, like just giving him these poisonous glances because you're going to ruin this. Lay off the booze. Don't try to wrestle with it right now. You know, we got to keep up this ruse. And Chris stays through that, you know, being just he wants to be supportive. He wants to be he wants to be there for Rose. Yeah. He wants to be part of the family, right? Subconsciously or or literally, he's trying to fit in. Looking for family. Yeah. And and, and the photography, that's a good point you bring up too because, you know, I think also as a writer, uh, sometimes I create distance from current events or distance from something going on in my personal life by looking at it through a creative prism, a creative lens. You can sort of stand back from it a little bit and process it at your own pace, which is, I think, very much what he's doing. So at the, like the party, auction, all that stuff, when he is feeling so uncomfortable, he can pull behind that camera lens and just disappear. And that's all credible. That's all believable. So yeah. it's like, okay, I, I would have left after Jeremy, but I believe a character staying. You know, I believe trusting Rose. She's very credible up until that, that last moment where she's jingling the car keys. And um, just that human empathy factor, as you point out, it is tough, not because, not just because Chris is a black man, um, a black man, I should emphasize the word black man, but because he's a grown man, you know, in a, in a horror movie, um, I think the reason you so often have the, the final girl to a degree is that she's someone who feels vulnerable you know, she's likely to be not as physically strong as whoever's chasing her. And even in, you know, I made a little short zombie film, um, I co-wrote and co-produced a little zombie film called Danger Word, and we had a 13-year-old protagonist, and it was this thin line because by the time she's 15 or 16, she starts to look like she should be able to take care of herself. Okay. Right? And if they're too young, you can't even cast it because it's hard to find child actors 
that young who can really pull it off. So 12, 13 is sort of felt like that edge where you can get the full empathy of, oh, you know what I mean? (laughs) Rather than, what's wrong with you? Pick up something, kick the hell out of that guy, you know? (laughs) So Chris is a grown man and he's a grown black man. So it's tough to to create that level of empathy where where you feel that he's genuinely in danger but get out pulls that off i mean he's surrounded by enemies um jeremy is there you know as the muscle rose has just completely fooled him they said the i love you the l word yeah the l word sucker he loved her <laughs> yeah i mean that's the worst part right because it is a betrayal for her it's just the latest relationship that she's pretended to which speaks volumes yes. about her but for him it's all been real and that's yes. that's what makes it tragic that's what anchors it in something that it isn't just his life that's in danger but it's his heart and his beliefs absolutely and someone who's already lost so much you know, especially, you know, in terms of the women in his life, his mother, that's such a huge loss. And so, yeah, uh, a lot of people, that's the clip I was actually showing in class when he when uh-huh. he snuck in, is the clip where Rose dangles the car keys and says, you know, you're not getting these keys, babe. And my students were all talking at the screen, calling her all kinds of names. <laughs> you know, it's hysterical. Um, <laughs> and a lot of their ire is always directed at Rose. But what I like to point out is that, you know, Rose was raised in this family from childhood. Yeah, she's a product okay? of this. Okay, she's a product. Like, from you see that old picture from the time she was little, she and Jeremy both. And to a degree, so, I mean, the father too. Yeah. I he mean, was raised as, as a part of this family culture. There's only one person in that family who chose that path who chose to be in that family, and that's Missy mm-hmm. and her little hypnosis, little trick, you know, and she refines it and brings her her little um, stank on it. So <laughs> so I think if you have to be really, I mean, they're all horrible. Yeah, I was going to say. I mean, and of course, as adults, you have a choice about how you live your life. They, they're, they're all, you know, absolutely making the choice to be a part of this this whole operation. But Missy has a little extra touch of sinister because she looked at this situation and said, hey, looks good. How do I get in as an adult as opposed to having been indoctrinated from the time she was a child? Yeah. I assume she's from next door. Like The community is so closed. I, I, I go to a Wicker Man situation where as soon as you get in there, everybody's part of it. Oh, but that's maybe. just me laying over what I feel comfortable with because Ooh. that way also I can say, oh, she never really had a choice either. But, oh, no, yeah, man. it's worse if she did. I think it would have been pretty easy to track these people down if they were all <laughs> within uh, a certain close radius of each other. Okay. You know, I don't know. I'm not sure. I mean, of course, we don't know what happens after Rod rescues Chris. But um, Chainsaw Massacre. I'm pretty sure. Um, you know, I would say according to the original ending, well, where Chris was going to be in prison um, and wasn't going to remember anything, that there was not meant to be justice mm-hmm. beyond the rescue, or when he changed it to the rescue. So in my mind, yeah, he never found them. Yeah. So this is the greater horror of the idea, right? The thing that's never gone away, never right. goes away, right. can't be stopped. It's, right. it's almost Lovecraftian, the ancient evil. It just happens to be that the ancient evil is America. And all these bodies trapped, all these black people trapped in these bodies, like aware, yeah, wanting to get out and not able to. That That is still horrifying. Oh, God, yeah. Even though Chris got away, they, they do, do we ever rescue Andre? Can you? I mean, is it even possible? Right. You see 
you know, skulls open, brains scooped out. And the, um, the, the viscera, the nature of it is something that played as a joke for me the first time and then stopped being a joke on mm. second viewing just because it's such a stupid, simple, like it's an idiot <laughs> solution to brains. Yeah. You know, when you see it, it's just like, well, we have this procedure and it's incredibly sophisticated and we've worked on it. And you know, the, the video is basically telling you how landmark groundbreaking, right. super intelligent it is. And then it's just like, now nah, you take this out, you put this in. That's really... <laughs> and it'll it'll help things along if you understand exactly. what's supposed to be happening here. So yeah. You're just talking them into it, basically. Right. Um, but I, I love that on second viewing, it's horrifying because it's somebody's entire being being scooped out and thrown out, which mm. of course is right in line with the aesthetic of the film and with the, with the point of it. But the first time, it's just like, that's what this is? <laughs> and the second time, it's like, no, that's what this is. No, but they've got their whole little program between the teacup and the hypnosis, and you soften it, soften them up yeah, emotionally yeah. for a couple days. It's just like, okay, all right, mm. I see you with that, uh, with that long ritual. Yeah. So what was it like? I mean, has Peel ever talked about the evolution of the process? I mean, what was it? What would it have been like before Missy? I'm just fascinated by the whole, uh, the idea that you soften people up, but if you don't have the hypnosis option, because that's clearly something she's very proud of, Yeah. what was it before? Well, good question. I, I would think it would be even more brutal. I would, yeah, imagine. You know, that you can, I mean, it's very helpful to be able to just tinkle a teacup and have someone lose consciousness, right? Well, if that's the goal, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So I, I can see it being a problem in a restaurant, but other so than that. if you're not using that and you're not using the childhood trauma aspect to kind of uh, pull them along, yeah, I could imagine it's just a more brutal, more brutal process. Yeah, I mean, it's a hallmark of a, of a really smart script is that it opens the door to these questions and not in a negative way. I'm thinking, oh yeah, like, was there anybody that it didn't work on? Have they are their bodies buried in the background of in the backyard of? Uh, Rose's other boyfriends that didn't take. Probably. And it speaks to this larger horror because obviously the community is fine with it. They're all, it's all part of the project. This has been going on for years. Exactly. Who knows? I mean, we saw some of the photos in in Rose's little keepsake box, but who knows how many other people there were. Oh, yeah. And that's, again, the idea that it stretches out in a distance that you can't even imagine. Um, But it's such a, I mean, it, it just speaks to the, the focus and the precision of the script and how how well thought out this premise is. It's, it's that thing where you don't have a lot of money. You're going to have to tell it through dialogue and character. $4.5 million. I know. And it made a quarter of a billion. Such a small amount of money. And, um, yeah, so you put the money in the thought and the script. And he spent um, years, you know, working on it on and off. And that shows. Yeah. I think a lot of people feel like, oh, people are just sort of jotting off scripts very quickly. But the better scripts do take years to yeah. to form. And what really impresses me most of all about Get Out is that he conceived of it during the Obama era. Right? Yes, that's right. Because even though we saw it in the run-up to the Trump era, in the Trump era, he's looking at the surface of the smiling faces and everybody's so proud of themselves because they've elected a black president. And thinking, yeah, but we've also got the Black Lives Matter movement and Trayvon Martin happening and, you know, all kinds of things going on that no one wants to acknowledge when they talk about society being post-racial. And now, you know, during the Trump era, we can see how absolutely not, not you know, post-racial the United States is. Yeah. 
So, and, and it's not just the United States. As I like to say, you know, a lot of people talk about, well, I need to move. Well, anti-blackness is global. Sure. So, so to me, the fact that uh, he wasn't lulled by this seemingly placid era and was able to see beneath the surface and pull out this story, um, kudos. Yeah. Because it was, as they say, right on time. Yeah, it was amazing to watch that with an audience that just rallied themselves at the end that 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 I mean of course he had to change the ending you can't go for yeah you, it's because you know Chris deserves a win he did deserve a win I mean I would have I would have still have admired great out I mean get out you know greatly if he'd had the original ending with prison but I probably wouldn't have watched it as many times as I have yeah you know well, it's because it's just more fun knowing that that's coming that misdirection with the flashing lights oh, yeah. and using those flashing lights to to uh, impact our expectations well that's I mean the preview audience reacted exactly that way they just there were there were two moments where they surprised me the first one was when you mentioned uh, the clip of Rose dangling the keys I remembered that half the room was kind of like oh <laughs> Which I did not expect. They were hoping she'd be the the good one. Right. But as as Peel points out beautifully, there are no good white people. Yeah, in the movie. not in that movie. And then the second one was when the uh, the lights turn out to be salvation, mm-hmm. and they just went nuts. And Canadian audiences, preview audiences, we don't do that. Oh, you but, don't. No, not in February. Oh, okay. Uh, you know, Star Wars, Avengers, that kind of thing. Got but this was it. an audience that had no idea what they were getting in for, and they thought it was going to be a horror film, and it it is, but it's some it's so much more. And you could feel them wrestling with it. And then that came out and it was just like all of a sudden, like the headliner had come out an hour early at a show and they just went crazy. Wow. This huge wave of, of happiness. Isn't that great? You know, and I, my, my husband and I originally planned to see Get Out in um, a theater um, in a black neighborhood in L.A. We had even hired a sitter. You know, okay. that's where we go when we want to see Black Panther, you know, where people are going to be talking to the screen. It just looks like, ah, a black horror movie, let's do it in a black neighborhood. But it fell through at the last minute. Okay. So we ended up going to our neighborhood theater where I swear I think we were the only black people in the audience, which was not what I had in mind. <laughs> I mean, because I just didn't know what to expect from the film. But now it's an invaluable circumstance, right, to be able to have that perspective with a white audience. Well, yes. But since I didn't know what to expect, I also didn't want to sort of feel self-conscious about my reactions to the film. Okay. You know, and and wondering how other people – yeah, I just wanted to sit and enjoy the movie, right? But – as it turned out, uh, very much like your experience with the film, it didn't. It didn't matter. It didn't matter that, that Chris was black, which, you know, now in retrospect, duh. Sure. Because he is so empathetic, and it is his story. But after so many years in Hollywood and pitching in Hollywood, when people were like, "Oh, do the characters have to be black?" and "Oh, it's not going to sell overseas," you know, much less, you know, um, in suburbia or in rural. United States, you know, sure, et cetera, yeah. you're, you're trained to feel like the audiences won't see you, won't empathize with you. And it was really refreshing to see they did empathize. And they were, when he was killing everybody, they yeah. were cheering him on. So I was like, okay, this is, in some ways, uh, it's a movie about race, yes. Race is the monster. Race is the point. American racial history is the point. But at the same time, it boils down to this universal character experience that is not at all in some ways about race, but is about then just survival. Yeah. 
Yeah. And that is the magic. You know, that's where the magic happens. And it was I, I did a few panels, you know, in L.A. Um, there was a private school that brought me in and had a whole panel of experts. And it was definitely a predominantly white audience. Uh, a couple of those where you watch the film and then there's this kind of sense of melancholy afterward because for some people they hadn't really thought about it obviously in in the ways that it's presented in the film like those little microaggressions at parties okay silly things we say that when when we're around people of a different group and we're slightly uncomfortable about it but we want to seem like we're not uncomfortable so then before you know it tiger woods blurts out or (laughs) you know (laughs) or something like that and it's something where everyone does it everyone does it but it's it's especially obvious and get out and and it given that it was during the Trump era that these panels were taking place, people were like, well, what do we do? What do we do? And I guess the first step is just awareness and understanding. Uh, and that's one of the things that, that is makes Get Out such a powerful tool because you can show it to someone who's ready to see it, to ready, ready to see it beyond an entertainment. Sure, yeah, receptive to the ideas. That's right. There are some audiences who are just going to be entertained and think, oh, this is a scary and funny movie, you know, and not not really have any kind of reaction to the auction scene and how that might relate to the history of slavery and, and not really get the references or the microaggressions and, you know. But if people are ready to see it, it's so clearly drawn and so well drawn that I think it does inspire you to want to also do something about it. Like, oh, I'm going to show this to my racist uncle or, you know, and, <laughs> yeah. and, it, and unfortunately it doesn't work that way. It's not <laughs> that easy <laughs> to take sort of a lifetime of ideas and show a person a film and they'll, they'll see the uh, error of their ways. But for people who are ready, who, who, been primed a little bit beforehand, I think it, it could inspire deeper awareness and a change of heart and more of a determination not just to feel like you're not racist, but to become anti-racist, which is a whole different thing. That's speaking up at the dinner table, right. speaking up in social media. And, and there are a lot of people who aren't willing to do that. Yeah, it's it's a Thing I've been, I mean, I've been seeing it on on Twitter less and less. I think because my bubble is clarifying, mm. um, so I'm not following people who are going to say stupid right. shit. So exactly. I don't see people calling them out. Right, and that's a false sense of security. Oh yeah, we've all learned how how false that bubble is. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. How is it that it's getting to be more of a problem the more you become aware of it? That's like that's the worst thing is trying to negotiate mm. the sense of pro- the the illusion of progress just because I don't see the things that are bothering me anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, that doesn't mean they're not there as we keep discovering over and over again. I mean, here in Ontario, we elected uh, complete awful. Uh, I don't even. I mean, it wasn't like the best thing you can say about Doug Ford is he's probably not that racist. Okay. His brother was worse. But the, the situation you find yourself in is like, oh, no, people will see, will see sense. Like we're all, just, we're all just looking for the easy answer and nobody wants to fight. And because I don't hear people spouting this stuff anymore, I convince myself that everybody's on my side now. And then you get a shock. Yeah, over yeah. and over again. And I don't learn, which is my own issue. <laughs> well, that's, that's why art, especially cinema – is so powerful, you know. I hate to almost say it as a writer <laughs> because 
I like to believe that books also have an impact, and they do. Of course. But even in a documentary like Horror Noir, when you see, like, the power of image, it's like this experience. I was in a drive-in. I was sitting with my mom, or I was eight years old, and I was in a living room with my dad. Or, you know, there's a very specific memory hook that especially children, but also adults have, that they associate with film and cinema. And this is why we treat celebrities the way we do, for better or for worse, because they represent something more than just someone who's an actor. Sure. They mean more to us. So that's why it's so important that art like Get Out can reach that wider audience that, you know, when it makes that kind of money, that's not just black people seeing it. That's not even just horror fans seeing it. That's a film that people are seeing because everyone's talking about it and you have to see it so you can also join that conversation. Yeah. And it breaks out. And like I said, it's not going to change every heart. It's not going to change every vote. But it does have an impact. It does matter. Um, It creates stars like Daniel Kaluuya who can go on and then have, like, you know, a great career um, representing black men and various versions of black men in other films. Sure. Which it's it's not always tangible. You can always point to it and say, okay, so this Get Out came out and therefore – this many voters, <laughs> you know, yeah. change their minds. But but it does have an impact. I have no doubt about that. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's – well, it's Ebert's line about the empathy machine, right? Once you start seeing another person as a human being. Exactly. And if that person is literally an other to you, mm-hmm. it changes everything. You start just – your brain unlocks in a way. Yes. And I just – I love the idea of Get Out being there forever now, just as a snapshot of exactly how – America worked and how people weren't willing to talk about how America worked and how uh, black cinema worked and how I, it, I don't know that it's the first wave of the new black cinema, but it, it feels like we're in the like we're peaking right now where things are getting really, really interesting and really good. And it's not just two filmmakers. It's a whole movement. Right. I mean, there are a lot of great films clustered around that this time period. Mm-hmm. Moonlight and Get Out and Black Panther and Sorry to Bother You. Yeah. Um, Beale Street, Black Klansman. Beale, I mean, yeah. So it is. It is uh, a movement clearly in, clearly in black cinema where filmmakers are, are have been able now to break out of some of the boxes that we thought we were breaking out of in the 90s and yeah. then that movement receded <laughs> you know it was like wow well, we're here no we're not and um one of the questions that comes up at the screenings for horror noir is is this real right is this a real new black horror renaissance and you could make that more general is this a new black film renaissance you know beyond horror oh yeah and I like, but a lasting one. A la- by real, they mean, you know, more than just a couple years and then you're gone and nobody can get a green light anymore. Sure, yeah. And I, I really feel like between the number of creators they, there are who are not just now finally working their way into the system with managers and agents and gatekeepers, but who are outside of the system, but have crowdfunding and have iPhones and have so many streaming venues where they can sell their work. I just don't see how you put the genie back in that bottle at this point. Um, I was listening to the writer's panel uh, Q&A from the Egyptian screening a couple nights ago, and it it was either Keith David or Ken Forey who said, or Tony Todd maybe, it doesn't matter if you don't come to see them. That you know oh, the, the, cre- the creativity is there right now, and everybody's taking advantage of it. But people still need to come and see the movies. And 
I, first of all, I love that you could just list all those names, and I, I was actually sitting there with all those people, and it's like that actually happened. Yeah, I'm, I'm intensely <laughs> jealous about we that experience. Of, uh, I mean, I, I, oof, I'm just having a flashback. That was an amazing <laughs> night, and it's true, you know. Um, not every project is going to do 250 million dollars. Sure. So we have to have an industry that is forgiving of a film that doesn't perform the way it should. Like I film like The Girl with All the Gifts, which I think is a great little, you know, Yeah, film. I was so glad that turned up in the documentary. And most people haven't seen it, didn't know it was out. You know, it's like, wow, it's so good. Glenn Close was in it. Yeah, that's right. How do you miss a zombie film with Glenn Close in it? <laughs> but it, yeah. a lot of people did miss it. So we have to have um, sort of a forgiveness for the misfires. And often the misfires are, are happening for fairly random reasons, you know, and then a lot of it, believe me, is marketing too. Sure. If you don't have a strong marketing team, then then it's not going to perform. So black artists have to have room to misfire. Yeah. And it, you can't have like, oh, it didn't work, so too bad you can't you can't have another shot yeah i'm i'm kind of worried about that for peel right now because us is coming out in expectations two months very high if it doesn't make 250 million dollars not everything can but also such a high bar yeah and he seems to have diversified it pretty well because he's got weird city before that and he's got twilight zone after that so he's not gonna go away right now no which is all i want he's everywhere right now yeah he's everywhere I, i love that he you know he's still young Yes. He's he's definitely weird. Like he's not a conformist. He doesn't want to make. He's making entertainments, but he doesn't want to make stuff that people don't question. Uh, I've only seen one episode of Weird City so far, but he's doing some stuff. Good, I haven't seen it yet. Need it's, to check uh, that out. Oh, it's the. I think I can talk about it. By the time this comes out, I should be able to talk about it. Um, it's the episode with uh, Dylan O'Brien and Ed O'Neill. As uh, a couple who get matched as each other's perfect one, but neither of them is gay. Oh, that's okay. Got it. Got it. All the little details. It's basically what he's doing is like Black Mirror, but without the cynicism. It's Mm. it's a more warm and wholehearted idea about technology impacting human life. Oh, isn't that nice? And yeah, and it's incidentally white, but it's also a much more diverse background in the world that they're in. And it's really interesting. And I just like, I know there's five more and I'm dying to see them. Wow. Yeah. Absolutely. He's uh, he's having a great impact on um, the industry overall. I mean, even The Last OG, you know, mm. um, that series with uh, Tracy Morgan, right? Tracy Morgan and yeah. Tiffany Haddish. Uh, I really love, I love this idea of a guy who was in prison trying to reclaim his life. And that has nothing to do with Get Out. But it also kind of does because it's continuing that conversation about mass incarceration yeah. that, that's hinted at in, in Get Out. So, yeah, Peel is a, a super well-rounded uh, creator and also a very generous creator who wants to open doors for a lot of people. And one of the reasons I picked Get Out, just aside from – even if I had liked it less than I do – I could like it 50% less than I do, or maybe even more than 50% less than I do, but its impact has been so profound that I would still have to give it props, you know, even even if it had had that original ending. And I was like, uh, yeah, I like it, out. I'm not going to see it again, but no, <laughs> no, that's not. I would have seen it probably at least two or three times. I was going to say, you, even if, you know, it becomes the sort of thing where you say, oh, the ending's not great, but I'm still going to. Right. I didn't like the ending, but yeah, you got to go see this. But I do love the ending, and... It has opened so many doors. I mean, literally, um, Shutter greenlit Horror Noir the day after Peel won the Oscar. Nice. Forget out. 
So that's not a coincidence, right? Yeah. And there are, I mean, even just other scholars now who've been throwing around these ideas for black horror scholarship are getting contracts. So it's, it's having an impact on creatives in the industry. It's having an impact on scholars. It's having an impact on um, write, uh, actors and writers and just so many people who feel inspired by a success who see what he was doing and what he was trying to say with Get Out and are looking for ways to tell their own stories and express their own philosophies through their work. Yeah, it's just wonderful to see a movie that no one saw coming yes. become a thing like that. Yes. From the Sundance screening to opening to everything else. Yeah, in the era of the remakes and the comic book movies, which don't get me wrong, you know, I'm a huge, huge Black Panther fan. Um, but yeah, just an original story. Yeah, based on every um, kind of brilliant horror, based on the inversion of every horror trope you can have. So it still feels familiar, but it's a package that works in a new way. Right. You know, I will watch almost any horror film, and I watch a lot of horror films. <laughs> so if I'm casting around, it's like a uh, young couple, family, mother and daughter move into a house in the woods and something messed up happens. Which, sure. now that I think about it, kind of is get out. It's, is that it's house in, in the woods messed up? I mean, it's that, <laughs> you know, sort of a haunted housey kind of thing. But what's haunting the house is these people instead of ghosts. Yeah. Um, don't go in the house. Don't go in the cellar. Don't go in the basement. That's all of them. Right. <laughs> Right. And, and um, the exploration of space is also a big deal in all those films. Um, so the way Chris explores the, the yard and the closet where he finds the uh, box of photos. And it's, yeah, it's got a little bit of that. And I, and I love that. But um, mostly that, that metaphor for U.S. racial history, for how it, that love-hate relationship between uh the wider population and black bodies, they're afraid of black people, don't want black people in their neighborhoods sometimes or marrying their children certainly, mm -hmm. but love the music, the fashion, and this goes back. This is like since the, the beginning, you know, before the end of slavery, when, you know, enslaved musicians uh, entertaining the master and this whole the whole reason we have so much of this blackface controversy today is because that was so much a big part of American entertainment yeah, was yeah. minstrel shows and blackface, where even black actors had to put on the court, you know, blackface to look even blacker. Um, it's a fascination, but don't eat at our restaurants. No, you can't stay at this hotel. Such a fascinating love-hate relationship. And get out expresses that so well. Yeah, it's not appropriation, it's possession. Right. And then it literally becomes that. Yeah, That's you what Peel does. Perform for us and we own you through your performance. Whether I mean the NFL. Yeah. And the whole I haven't been following the NFL for two years now because I just had my heart broken over are you kidding me? Yeah. Colin Kaepernick can't get a job because he kneeled to protest police brutality? That makes it's just just takes the wind out of your sails, you know, when you realize that that the, the corporate powers behind a sport I grew up loving don't really care about my son, you know, or those bodies. 
Yeah. No, I mean, it's the same as the bubble effect, right? The, you assume that everybody's going to be on your side, and then you find out very quickly that they don't even care about your side. Right. That this is where we are. That, of course, they don't want to alienate the NASCAR audience, the white people who might feel that any attention paid to a black athlete for a political statement is, you know, a distraction from the game. That's what they always say, right? Like it's, it's about the – when like when Bush was president, people mm. said, you know, respect the office of the president. And he mm. was – as, you know, he was as patrician, white, entitled, aristocratic as you mm, could get. Mm. Uh, Obama came in; they certainly stopped respecting the office. I mean, really, what a difference a day made! <laughs> I'm um, kidding. But yeah, well, the the Super Bowl deserved its ten year low in the ratings. That's all I can <gasps> say. <laughs> I think when Maroon Five, it's nobody's fault. I mean, it's everybody's fault, but Maroon Five is nobody's fault. It's one of those things. Oh, just I don't like, think yeah, that's what you get. I don't think it was just because of Maroon Five, but yeah, okay, I hope not. Yeah. No, no, I think it was just you know that there are people like me who were just like, mm, oh, there are other things I could be doing. Yeah, like watching Get Out. Like watching Get Out again. <laughs> as often as but how many times have you seen? I mean, at this oh point. my gosh! Well, I've been teaching now for several quarters, sure. so I I rewatch it every t- every quarter. Uh, because I know I'll, I'll find something new in the tea. I've probably seen it at least 10 times. Wow. Oh, that's great. Yeah. I love something that can be revisited that time. I love the idea of someone making a work of art that is only two years later still like so vivid and so, so yielding. Like it keeps giving you stuff. I mean, and, and accidentally, uh, one of these times I played the soundtrack, you know, just the audio. Oh, yeah. And I realized, oh, my gosh, there's this whole layer to the soundtrack that I had not even – these are screaming voices inside this music. What? Yeah. So, so yeah. I mean, I'm sure there's a lot more I have yet to even discover about it as many times as I've seen it. Oh, that's wonderful. Um, keep us posted. <laughs> I will. My thanks to Janana Reeve Du, who you can see discussing Get Out in Horror Noir: A History of Black Horror, currently streaming on Shutter. If you don't have a Shutter subscription, it's also available to purchase on iTunes. But really, you should have a Shutter subscription. Thanks also to Amanda Gunn Monroe. She knows what she did. And thanks as well to TIFF for letting me use their podcast facilities to record this episode. You can find Tanana Reeve on Twitter at Tanana Reeve Do, all one word, and you can find Get Out on 4K, Blu-ray, and DVD from Universal Studios Home Entertainment in a special edition with an audio commentary by Jordan Peele, a few deleted scenes, and that alternate ending we talked about. You can also find it on iTunes and Google Play. And remember, Peele's new film, Us, opens in theaters this Friday. As always, you can find me on Twitter at Norm Wilner and elsewhere on the internet at nowtoronto.com. You can also find this podcast on Twitter at Semcast, S-E-M-Cast, and on the web at someoneelsesmovie.com. If you feel like leaving a review on iTunes or Apple Podcasts or wherever you enjoy the show, that would be greatly appreciated. Every little bit helps. It truly does. Thanks for your support for four years now, and thanks for listening. Just too darn loud.